This is the Life Church Reno podcast. Here at Life Church, we seek to love God, love others, and make a difference. Today's message is from our I Am sermon series. In this series, we're looking at the seven I Am statements of Jesus, discovering who Jesus is according to his own words, and how this impacts us today. From wherever you're listening, we pray that this message encourages you. Good morning. All right, um, let's pray. Dear Lord, we uh, always come before you. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you just uh, for so many of the things that we get to do again here at Life Church and Egg Race and events like that. I just kind of love on the community, Lord. And we, uh, so we dive into your word today. Holy Spirit, ask that you would move in the only way that you can move, speak in the only way that you could speak. Lord, I pray that I would uh, be faithful to your word today. May the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. You are my rock and my redeemer. Amen. It had been 40 years since he ran away from home. 40 years since he left everything he knew. 40 years since he escaped as a convict for the murder of an Egyptian guard. Now we find him on this day the once prince of the greatest known kingdom in the world, having the lowest job in society, a shepherd, not even of his own flock, of the flock of his father-in-law. He'll take the, the sheep to the far side of the wilderness, and by the time the sun begins to set, he will find himself at the base of Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai. As darkness covers the sky, there's a flicker of fire up in the mountain. Simple curiosity will take him up the mountain and he will walk up and he will begin to approach the bush that's on fire but not burning. And as he gets closer, the voice will come out, Moses, Moses. Moses responds, here I am. The voice says, do not come any closer. Take your sandals off, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses, Moses immediately falls to his knees, takes his sandals off, and then hides his face, afraid to look at God. And then we watch as Moses and God have a prayer time. It's a conversation. And God begins to tell Moses, Listen, I have seen my people in slavery. I've seen the wickedness, the terrible things that's happening. I've heard their cries. And now, Moses, I'm going to do something about it. Moses, I'm going to send you to deliver my people. And Moses, if you know the story, starts having doubts. God, I don't talk very well. There's got to be somebody else. I can't go back. I'm a convicted fellow. Like, I, if I go back, it's going to be a problem. And God says, no, Moses, I'm sending you. And then Moses asked God a question. Okay, say I do this. If I go to the people of Israel and I say, the God of your fathers has sent me. What if they ask me, what is his name? What should I tell them? What Moses asked God in Hebrew is Mashemo. It means what is the meaning of your name or what is the significance of your name or what makes you, you? You see, he's not looking for uh, the way we use names today. You know, 
the way we use names today, our name is used to hold a reservation at a restaurant or we give our name to our, uh, our a barista at our favorite coffee joint to make sure we get the right coffee order. No, a name back then carried significance. A name back then carried identity. A name back then carried your destiny. It was a one word moniker for the truest thing about you. So if, if somebody was to ask me my Shemo, they want to know what is the innermost, the, what makes me the, the, the Jericho-ness of me, the truest thing about me. And that is what he asks God. Think about it. Names always meant something in ancient culture. Look at Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham's name was Abram, meaning exalt, exalted father. And with Abram, God makes a covenant with him, promising out of him he will bless the nations, that his descendants will be like the grains of the sand on the shore or the stars in the sky, that there will be so many you can't even count. And so he changes his name from Abram to Abraham, meaning father of many nations, his identity and destiny. Abraham has a son, Isaac, whose name means laughter because his mom, Sarah, literally laughed when she found out that she would have a son in her old age. So she named her son, Haha. <laughs> and then you get his son, Jacob, whose name means heel grabber. We watch it from the way that he's born, grabbing the heel of his twin brother. We, we see it throughout his life because the, the, the name is kind of a euphemism for a liar or a cheat. And that's really the biography of that dude until the day that he wrestles with God. And on that day, his name is changed from Jacob to Israel, meaning he struggled with God. It has always meant something. It, meant, it, was, it was powerful things in your, your name, your destiny, your identity. And so Moses asked God, Mashemo, what is the truest thing about you? Essentially, he's asking God, give me your inner Godness. And God answers, Yahweh, meaning I am who I am, or whatever I am, I will be. God is letting Moses, he lets us into his inner Godness, the deepest reality of his being. In Exodus 34, we get Moses coming down the mountain a second time with the Ten Commandments because, you know, the first ones, he, the people were messing up, so he destroyed the first ones, burned on the calf. Anyways, second one. Moses comes down the mountain, second time, with the Ten Commandments. He shows up, and it says that God came down like a cloud and went in front of Moses, and then God proclaimed, meaning God said, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord in this verse is in all caps. Anytime the word Lord is in all caps in our Bible, that is Yahweh. And so it could be translated Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. And so we get God himself claiming his name, Yahweh, Yahweh. He says it twice. And then he gives these characteristics about him. I am who I am or I will, who I am, I will always be. He says, I am compassionate always. Gracious, always, always have been, always will be. Slow to anger, always. I abound in perfect love, always. I'm faithful, always. Forgiving, always. His inner godness, these things are core to who he is. So I did this research. I was like, okay, how do I describe Yahweh? 
Because the way it's translated, I am who I am. If somebody came up to you, you say, hey, hi, how are you doing? Nice to meet you. What's your name? And they responded with, I am. You'd be like, huh? <laughs> I'll call you Eam. Like you just make up, it's hard to understand. So I did this research and I came up with a list. It's not exhaustive at all. But God's name, Yahweh, means God's an absolute being. And God's absolute being means he never had a beginning. We read about that in scripture. He's always existed. He never had a beginning. Because he's an absolute being, he never had an end. If he didn't come into being, he can't go out of being. He just simply is being. God's absolute being means he is absolute reality. God's absolute being means he's utterly independent. He depends on nothing to bring him into being or support him. God's absolute being means that everything that is not God depends totally on God. Scripture tells us that. God's absolute being means all the universe by comparison is nothing compared to God. God's absolute being means he's the absolute standard of truth, goodness, and beauty. God's absolute being means God does whatever he pleases and it's always right, it's always beautiful, and it's always in accord with truth. So today, like Pastor Dave said, we're kicking off this series, I Am. And we're gonna be looking at these statements that Jesus makes about himself, I am blank. But we have to, before we jump into the statements of Jesus, we have to understand the importance of I am. Because the Jews in this day, when Jesus says, I am blank, the Jews immediately, their ears would have perked up. Immediately, they would have been on guard because they would have went back to Exodus 3. They would have went back to God and given Moses his name and saying, Yahweh, that when God sends Moses, he says, tell the people, I am sent you. They, they would have immediately thought, you're claiming that the God in Exodus 3 is who you are. They would have went back to Exodus 34 and God coming down like a cloud. And they would have been like, you're claiming the God that did that is who you are. So immediately they would be alarmed. Immediately they'd be looking at him. And so it's one of two things. He's crazy and a liar, or it's true. And so we're going to look at today Jesus' statement, I am the bread of life. If you have your Bibles, open up to John chapter 6, verse 25. All right, when I read the verse in Exodus 34, how many of you got nervous because you didn't know if you were supposed to cheer or not? <laughs> I had somebody tell me after first service, like, I didn't know, but I didn't want to be the only one, so I just stopped. Um, all right, verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, and it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So they said, always give us this bread. Hey, listen, there's a lot of kind of theological points and things we could cover in this, okay? For the purpose of this message, we're gonna focus on the bread of life. 
Okay, there is a lot of other, we'd be here for hours and hours and there's not enough donuts to last. So we're gonna just focus on the bread of life. For context, here's what just happened. 24 hours before this conversation with Jesus and this crowd, he fed the 5,000. Right, and it says 5,000 men. So if you're talking about every man is married with one kid, you're talking about he fed 15,000 people with a couple of loaves of bread and a couple of fish. Everybody got full. And then afterwards, there were still leftovers that they filled up 12 baskets. Like that's what just happened the day before, okay? Jesus recognized the disciples are tired. He puts the disciples in a boat, sends them off. Jesus goes off alone. In the midst of the night, there's a storm. Jesus walks on water. So that's why when they come back around the other side of the lake and they find the disciples, they ask him, when did you get here? We saw the disciples get on the boat. You didn't go. And so they ask Jesus, when did you get here? And Jesus responds to them, you're not looking for me because you want me. You're looking for me because yesterday you were nice and full and now you're hungry again. You just want me to produce another miracle like that. We see their mistake that they're making. They miss the importance of Jesus' statement. They, they ask him, what sign will you show us? As if they forgot what he did the day before. They think, they, they, well, what sign will you show us now? Prove it again, because we're hungry again. See, here's the thing. I think we have to be careful to not make the mistake that the crowd was making. Here's my question for you. Are you seeking the miracle or the person? I think sometimes we can get so caught up in the miracles of Jesus. And don't get me wrong. They're awesome. I hope when we get to heaven, I can watch them on Netflix and just, you know, for free. Netflix won't keep jumping up in price when we get there. But I, my, my hope is I can just watch these things happen. Because... Jesus spit in the ground, took it, and wiped it on a blind man's eyes, and all of a sudden, homeboy could see. Right? He, he took his finger, put it in the sores of a leper, and dude was healed. Or you got this paralyzed guy whose friends rip open the roof of a house, drop him down, and Jesus says, because their faith, you are healed, get up and walk, and homeboy dances and moonwalks out the door. Because <laughs> right? there's no way you walk, right? You've never walked in your life, and all of a sudden, you can walk. You're not just taking a stroll. Right, like you gotta do something fly, right? But like the miracles are amazing, but they are not more amazing than the person of Jesus. The greatest miracle is the birth, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. It is Christmas and Easter. The crowd missed the most important factor. They were missing Jesus right in front of them. When we read scriptures, when we worship, when we pray, may we not get simply caught up in the miracles or the lights or, or, the, or, or, or that, that make God just useful in our lives and miss the glory of the gospel. John Piper says this, Jesus did not come to be useful. He came to be precious. Or another way to say it, Jesus didn't come to assist in meeting our desires. He came to change our desires so that he is the main one. Don't get me wrong, Jesus cares about you today. He cares about you right where you're at. He sees you. He cares about the things that worry you, that stress you out, that bring you anxiety, that, are, that, that, that cause you fear and pain and heartache. Jesus cares. The Bible tells us to cast our worries and our fears on him. I'm not saying he doesn't care. All I'm saying is the main reason he came wasn't for the cares of today. 
He came for you for eternity. The crowd was looking for these desires to be met today. They were looking for another miracle that just like, just like what happened 24 hours before. But they missed the fact that he cared about eternity, where they would spend eternity. When Jesus returns, man, there will be no more heartache, pain, and sadness. There will be no more death. When Jesus returns, you will have a new perfect body, which now I'm getting older. I can't wait for that day. Um, I got to like not eat desserts. It sucks. Right, but you will have a new perfect body, live in perfect creation, the way God intended in, in Genesis 1 and 2 before we hit Genesis 3 in the fall. Church, my hope is that we don't miss Jesus and the good news by seeking satisfaction of today. When we pray, may we not only pray for the concerns of today and miss the intimacy with Jesus. There's a quote by Mother Teresa that says, hey, when you pray and you talk to God, what do you do? She says, I sit there in silence. The person asking the question said, okay, well, what does God say back? He just sits there in silence. There's an intimacy there when you just sit in the presence of somebody and enjoy being with them. My hope is that when we pray, it's not even just a one-way one conversation and we miss the intimacy of Jesus. When we, when we worship, may we not get caught up in the stage, the lights, the awesome worship team and miss the Jesus that we worship. When we read scripture, may we not read it only to look for answers or knowledge or, or, or the miracles and miss the Jesus that it all points to. My hope is Jesus would be more than just useful for us. Verse 35, Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Who comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. And so we get Jesus, and I am the bread of life, and he compares himself to bread, okay? Uh, and bread in the ancient culture was like a staple in meals. You know, I know now that like, don't eat carbs or do eat carbs. And bread was a staple in meals during that day. Bread was made from grain. Jesus making the claim that I am the bread of life, all the Jews would immediately become alarmed because Old Testament law says grain is a type of burnt offering that you do to first sacrifice and atonement for the sins the people have caused. Grain is a type of sacrifice. Jesus making the claim, I am the bread of life, is saying, I am the sacrifice. I am the atonement for sin. I am the one who will make you in right standing with God. So Jesus makes this claim that he is the bread of life. And what's the kind of correlation between Jesus and bread? Here's the first thing is food is useless unless it is eaten, right? Looking at the bread, smelling the bread, knowing the ingredients of the bread does not satisfy your hunger. Taking a picture of it so everybody can see on social media does not satisfy your hunger. Telling somebody else about the bread on the table does not satisfy your hunger. Selling the bread, nothing. The only thing that'll satisfy our hunger is eating the bread. 
In the same way, spiritual truth does no good if it is not internalized. The scriptures must be internalized. The gospel must be internalized. Jesus must be internalized. It, it, the Bible is not just another book we read. It's God's holy word given to us. Understand the gospel is both a public and a personal message. We, mo we may proclaim the gospel in public arenas, something like this, but it is a very personal message for each and every person that becomes a believer in Christ. It is extremely personal. Eating is prompted by hunger. The way we satisfy physical hunger is quite simple. We eat something. Who remembers those Snickers commercials where there was always some hangry, bitter, really rude person, and then they had some friend, you're hangry, you need to eat a Snickers. They'd eat it, and all of a sudden, like, life was changed, right? No? Am I the only one that watched Snickers commercials? Yeah, okay, thank you. Right? Eating is prompted by hunger. As followers of Jesus, we should hunger to know him more, to have a deeper relationship, to have a greater understanding of who he is, not his miracles, his character. We should hunger for forgiveness, for deliverance, for peace, for love, for hope, for joy. And the hunger should drive us to the bread of life, Jesus. Eating involves trust. When we eat, we are trusting that the food is cooked properly. It's not moldy. It won't make us sick or hurt us or kill us. Right? When you go to someone's house, you're putting a lot of trust if they're cooking you a meal. Right? Because if you go eat at someone's house and what they cook gives you food poisoning, it will be the last time you let them cook for you. You put trust in somebody else cooking for you. Eating the bread of life implies trust in Jesus. The difference is, is you're putting your trust in the one whose salvation comes from, the one who loves you more than you can ever know, the one who pursued you, the one who adores you, the one who's unchanging, the one who cannot lie, the one who died for you, the one who sacrificed for you. Eating is personal. Nobody can eat for you. Right? If you're hungry, watching someone else eat does not satisfy your hunger. It is personal. You have to eat to satisfy your hunger. What we eat becomes part of us, right? Jesus, when he ascended into heaven after his death and resurrection, he promised that him leaving, God the Father would send the Holy Spirit to live inside and dwell the believer. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you received from God? You are not your own. Jesus' death and resurrection was extremely personal for him and for us. So personal that the Holy Spirit now lives inside of us. Here's our last thing. Are you missing the true bread? Verse 41 at this, the Jews there began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Here's why they get upset. Because they had referenced already the manna that came down from heaven when the Israelites were in the wilderness. Remember, they would know their whole family history. They would know everything that's happened from Abraham on. They've already referenced it. So Jesus said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They would immediately go back and go, so hold on. When the manna came down from heaven to feed Moses and the Israelites, now you're claiming to be that? And now they're upset. 
And they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can, we, how can he now say, I came down from heaven? So, I mean, like picture the crowd, right? They're like, hold on. We know your mom. We know your dad. You were born from your mom, like us. What are you talking about? You came down from heaven. And Jesus says, stop grumbling among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna, like you talked about, in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. You see, the crowd had made the mistake the feeding the 5,000, the bread that had been broken to feed and do this miracle, that had become the gospel for them. They missed Jesus. And then we get Jesus at the end here predicting, prophesying, prophetically saying, my, my body will be the sacrifice. Prophetically talking about his death on the cross where we see him give his life for the sins of humanity and those who would come to put their faith in him. It is Jesus' offering of his flesh that is the price of redemption. The greatest miracle is the saving grace of the gospel that we find at the cross. Hopelessness of life apart from God isn't a new thing. There's hopelessness away from God, but that's not really a new thought. Even, you can go back to the 1730s, the rise of evangelicalism in the 1730s, that, 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 that still wasn't a new thought. Long before modern rationalism, Augustine wrote, you made us for yourself and our hearts find no peace until they rest in you. Solomon, the wisest man to ever live, wrote in Ecclesiastes 2, summarizing all his futile pursuits including chase for pleasure, productivity, possessions, political power, and wisdom. Things that we still struggle with as humanity today. We're always striving for more in these areas of life. We're always striving to find satisfaction or gratification for the things of today. And we strive for these things, and then we find that everything in this world, this temporary satisfaction, is fleeing. The things of this world never bring what we desire. Food never cures us from being hungry again. Wealth or success do not cure us. Comfort and stability does not do this. We're never fully satisfied by this world. But it's exactly what Jesus offers. Complete wholeness in him complete satisfaction in him, complete joy in him, perfect love in him. Don't get me wrong, this doesn't mean that then for the believer, life is just a bed of roses with Jesus and it all goes perfectly well. But for the believer, what a joy it is to know that the worst it ever gets in this life is the worst it will ever be for me for all of eternity. Or 
no matter how great this life is, it does not compare to eternity with Jesus. No matter how much I succeed, no matter what my, my comfortability and my, my stability or my bank account, no matter what I do and achieve in this life, it compares very little, nothing to Jesus and eternity. The one day we will experience God in perfect relationship, Yahweh, the God who is compassionate always, who is gracious always, who is slow to anger always, the God who abounds in love and faithfulness always, who is forgiving always, the God who is just always. Church, are we missing the true bread, the bread of eternal life? I know for me, I'm a pastor. I work for the church. Oh, how I can miss God doing the work for God and miss him completely. And so today, all I'm, I'm not saying if you, the way you pray is wrong or the way you worship is wrong or, I'm not, or the way you read scripture is wrong. All I'm saying is we need to do, um, you might not remember. Um, you know the old Nintendos where you had to like eject you, right? Blow it, put it back in, turn it back on, right? That's all we're gonna do. We're just gonna hit the reset button. We're just gonna hit the reset button. Just to, as we go into Easter soon, just, just remember, are we missing Jesus in all the stuff that we do? Are we missing him when we worship? Are we missing him when we take communion? Are we missing him when, when we pray? Are we missing him when we fellowship? Are we, just, are, are we just missing him? And sometimes I think it happens not even intentionally. I don't think we intend to do this. I think it just happens by accident. Because our intentions and our prayer time is, God, you know the desires of my heart. You know the brokenness I'm living with. You know the struggles we have. And, and we forget Jesus sometimes. And so all we're going to do today is hit the reset button. When you came in today, you uh, had the chance to grab a communion cup. If you did not grab one and you want to take communion, uh, raise your hand. Some ushers in the back will bring communion uh, to you. But here's what we're going to do. Um, we're going to stand, and we're going to take communion together. So if you guys will stand with me. When, uh, when Jesus was at the Last Supper, he took the bread, he blessed it, and he broke it. He said, do this in remembrance of me, my body which is broken for you. See, this isn't just something we do because it's a religious ritual. He told us to remember the body that was broken for us. The Jesus that was broken for us. Tim Keller says this, when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, he says, I am God made breakable for you. That is the body that we remember today. The cat of nine tails that he took, the mocking, the kicking, the punching, the spitting, the nailing to a cross, the body that was broken for us. Let's partake together. In the same way, he took the cup and he blessed it, passed it around, said, do this in remembrance of me, my blood, which is shed for you that blood-soaked cross, the blood 
that covers us. You see, when we get to heaven and stand before God, there's Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father who says, no, my blood covers him. My blood covers her. My blood covers you. It's not just something we do because we're part of the church. Let's hit reset and remember the blood that was shed for us, the sacrifice of the cross, the greatest miracle. Let's partake together. Now we take communion and we remember the body that was broken and the blood that was shed. But church, if you are a believer, we don't just remember the death, but we celebrate the resurrection because our Jesus defeated sin, grave, and death three days later, rising again. He is not still dead. We celebrate a resurrection. So here's how we're going to end today. We're going to end with worship and praise, singing out to the one who is the name above all names, the king above all kings, the Lord of all lords, the one who is the bread of life. Let's worship. Thank you for listening to the Life Church Reno podcast. Remember to subscribe to catch more of the I Am series and to hear more messages like this. You can also find more information at lifechurchreno.com.